Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. What's your favorite breakfast food? Um, My son said curry. That's not a breakfast food. But um, since I've moved to America, I've got to say America is the best bacon in the whole world. So I'm going to say bacon. I don't know what you do to your pigs here, but the bacon is amazing. And if you're a vegan, I'm sorry, you can eat kale. I don't know. But um, your pigs are amazing. Your bacon's amazing. Hey, my name is Brian. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, welcome to Light Church. Uh, I get the privilege of being here week in and week out and opening God's Word and being part of this amazing team in church. Um, it's a joy to be together. And uh, today we're going to continue in our preaching series that we're launching the year with, which is looking at the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, my son, Caleb, as you can hear from my accent, uh, we're not from America. Uh, we're from South Africa. And last year, my son, Caleb, uh, he was, he's obviously going to school now in America, and he came home and we were saying, what did you learn about at school? And uh, he was telling us that he learned about the Ten Commandments. And uh, I was like, you learned about what? And he's like, we learned about the Ten Commandments. And I was like, well, I know what the Ten Commandments are. I have no idea what the Ten Commandments are. But anyway, here we are. We're doing the Ten Commandments or the Ten Commandments or the Ten whatever you want to call it. But uh, Caleb is learning about the Ten Commandments, and we're going to do the Ten Commandments here at church this morning. But we're doing this, we're looking at this, uh, these ten different uh, laws or rules that are instituted into the, the life of the nation of Israel, and today we're going to be in week number three. But before we get to that, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at from verse 1. And uh, we're going to go through the entirety of that message that was given to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. It'll come up on the screen, and if you're able and willing, won't you stand as we read God's Word together? Then God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity to the children, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands." Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do your work, but in the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your, or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, your resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, seventh, the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony against your neighbor, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Ten Commandments. What, what, what are the Ten Commandments? Well, the the Ten Commandments will be known as the most famous law code in the history of the world. In fact, interestingly enough, my wife, who has one of her many degrees and qualifications that she has studied law, and uh, she reminded me that uh, the Ten Commandments, in fact, set precedent for the entire world's legal system, even up until today. Throughout church history, the Ten Commandments were the primary ways that pastors and theologians would teach the church biblical truths and how to live out their faith in whatever day and whatever century they found themselves in. What's fascinating is that when you open the Bible to chapter one of the book of Genesis, which is the account where the Lord God creates the world, what we see is that God speaks 10 times. It's actually fascinating that in the creation account, 10 times in the opening chapters of the Bible, we read the refrain, and God said. God speaks 10 times in the original creation. And in creating the world, God's intent was to bring about a humanity, to bring about us, you and me, and create for us a world that would cause human flourishing and life and fullness. And he speaks 10 times in order to do so. Fast forward a few chapters to Exodus chapter 20, and at Mount Sinai, Moses goes up a mountain, and God speaks again. This time, he speaks 10 times. He speaks 10 words that, if followed, will result in Israel forming a renewed creation, a renewed humanity. 10 times at the creation account, God speaks to bring about life and create the world as we know it. And his intent is life and wholeness and human flourishing. Moses goes up a mountain and 10 times God speaks again. And his intent is wholeness and life and human flourishing. These 10 words were crucial in forming Israel's identity as the people of God, as a newly liberated nation who have been rescued out of the slavery that they found themselves in Egypt. And now, what we see is that this nation, if they follow these rules, these commandments, they're not meant to be oppressive, but rather bring about life and wholeness and fullness and human flourishing. Now, many of us know that in any relationship that we find ourselves in, we need a kind of rules or boundaries or some kind of expectation in order to see that relationship flourish. Many of you know this, uh, if you're living with roommates, it's helpful to have some kind of code that you live by or some kind of rules that you follow. I see a lot of people smiling. Maybe you've come into conflict at the start of the new year around uh, maybe your roommate ate a little bit too much bread or drank too much of the milk or had too much honey because, you know, there's some rules that you've got to follow. Pick your stuff up off the floor, clean the bathroom after you use it, whatever the case may be. Uh, any relationship, any friendship, there's kind of unspoken and spoken rules that we Follow in order to bring about wholeness and flourishing in that relationship. Every marriage, we, we sign up to a code of, of living and, and doing life together so that we can flourish as human beings. And in the healthiest of relationships, these rules are not meant to be burdensome. They're not meant to be unnecessarily restrictive. 
Rather, they exist to bring about life and health and flourishing to that relationship. I can use my marriage as an example. You know, when Caitlin and I came together in marriage, what we said in saying yes to each other is we say no to any other option that there may be out there. And so that option of saying, hey, I'm going to pursue my wife as the only woman in my life, as the one I'm going to cherish and love, that is not a restrictive, oppressive rule on my life to not go and be with other women. Rather, that is to create flourishing and wholeness in our relationship. And the Ten Commandments actually function in the same way. They're not rules that are meant to be oppressive and restrictive, that like we have to follow this rule list so that God may love us, but rather they should be viewed as 10 loving invitations towards our own human flourishing and wholeness. And so living in sync with the Ten Commandments actually leads to life and leads to how life was designed for us to be lived. And living in sync with these Ten Commandments actually leads to a life of freedom, leads to a life of being able to engage with the Lord and live out our life on this planet in the way that God designed for it to be lived. In the last two weeks, we've looked at the first two commandments of do not have any other God besides me and and do not make an idol for yourself. And that brings us to week number three, which is today as we look at the third commandment, which is this found in verse seven. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. The ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible, actually translates this this verse uh, a, a lot better where it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So let's start off this morning by asking ourselves the question, why did God actually speak this commandment, this third commandment? What's the point? Daryl Johnson, he insightfully says, because God does not want to see us waste a precious gift. The third commandment is about you and me not wasting a precious gift. In fact, Daryl Johnson would go on to say that precious is actually an understatement. You see, in the third commandment, God is actually saying to us, I have given you one of the greatest gifts imaginable, one of the greatest gifts you could ever receive. Please don't take it in vain. The Hebrew word that's translated vain actually literally means nothing or emptiness. It's as if God was saying, and I quote Daryl Johnson again, I have given you something supremely precious, something for which I personally am very jealous. I have given you something that changes your life. Do not let it be for nothing. Do not empty it of its richness and power. Do not take the gift of my name in vain. So what's the gift? Well, we know it as we've started this morning. The gift itself is God's name. In giving us his name, God is in fact giving us a precious gift. Now, names in ancient Israel in the Hebrew tradition were really significant. And when men and women, moms and dads would name their children, there would be a lot of intentionality, a lot of thought would go into naming their kids. In fact, what you see even throughout ancient Israel is uh, names would change as people maybe became uh, 
you know, would climb the social ladder of society, they would get a new name, or if they, there's something about their character was renewed or changed, God himself would change their name. But there was a lot of attention and focus given to people's names. Now, Caitlin and I, when we were naming our boys, we we're pretty like intentional, intense people. And so we uh, decided to give a lot of intentional thought into what we would name our kids. And I think we nailed it personally. But um, our kids, they've got such cool names. Uh, Judah Zion is our oldest child. He, that, that name means to praise the highest points. So we said, hey, for, for Judah, every time we call his name, what we want to do is we want to prophesy over his life, and anytime you or his teachers or his friends call upon his name, they would be speaking over him that you will praise Jesus all the days of your life. So we intentionally spoke that name over him. Our, our youngest child, and this could not be more appropriate, his name is Caleb Reed, and, and he's the energetic one in the family, the loud one. If you think I'm loud, honestly, um, and, uh, and Caleb Reed means wholehearted warrior that brings life. And, uh, and we, I maybe would have added like another name of like with a lower volume. But, <laughs> but Caleb is a wholehearted warrior that brings life. Caitlin, uh, the name Caitlin actually means purity. And if you know my wife, if there was ever a name that actually like uh, aligned with someone's personhood, that it would be Caitlin and just purity over her life. I looked up the name Brian the other day to see what that means, and I just found in ancient Hebrew it means handsome and good-looking. So, you know, <laughs> do with that what you will. According to the Australian Old Testament scholar Francis Anderson, the two greatest moments in human history are, number one, when the living God revealed His name. God's name in, in ancient Israel, in, in the scriptures, is revealed to us as Yahweh. And the second greatest moment in human history is when the living God came down in person bearing the name Yeshua, which is another form of the name Yahweh, which means Jesus, which literally means Yahweh is salvation, or we can translate that to be Yahweh to the rescue. So when God reveals himself to Moses, let's go back to that scene, Moses He's the, the, uh, the Israel's come out of slavery in Egypt. They're walking around the desert. There's a mountain. Moses goes up the mountain to meet with the Lord. Up at this point, God had only revealed himself to Moses' ancestors. Uh, he, had, he, had been come, he had come to be known uh, by the name or the title that would convey some sort of revelation. And the most important name that Israel would refer to God in this season of human history was the name El Shaddai. Now, El Shaddai means almighty God, creator God, all-powerful God, just this king on a throne with might and power. This was the name that Israel would use and their perception of who God is. Daryl Johnson, he goes on to tell us in his book, That You May Live, where he unpacks the Ten Commandments for us. He says that at the burning bush where God has an encounter with Moses. Moses' name for God is El Shaddai, all-powerful. God meets Moses. There's a bush that bursts into flames, and God starts speaking to him. This bush is not consumed by the fire, though, and God reveals a new revelation to Moses. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he reveals himself as a God to Moses as the God that sees and hears and feels his people's suffering and then chooses to get involved and then intervene on behalf of his people. 
This is a completely new revelation for Moses and the people of Israel. So God's title, the titles that God was called up into this point did not uh, include this new revelation that Moses had received. And so Moses asks the question, the very important question, well, what's your name? He's saying, well, I know you as El Shaddai, but what you're telling me is now something completely different. What's your name? And in response to Moses' question of what's your name, God says, my name is Yahweh. I want you to call me Yahweh. In ancient Near East, and names carried greater significance than they do today. And what we would find out is that you did not know a person unless you knew his or her name, but not just their name, but the meaning of their name. A name in some way expressed the person's essential character or told you something about the person's history, their past, or maybe even their present or what's to come in their future. A few examples from the scriptures, Eve, as we know, the first woman on earth, the name that was given to her was mother of all nations. That's what it meant. Isaac means laughter, which reminds us that his parents laughed at the thoughts of being told that they would conceive a child in their old age. Uh, The significance of names is illustrated even more forcefully when names are changed in the scriptures. Abram becomes Abraham, which means father of many nations. Jacob becomes Israel, which means wrestled with God. And if you know the story, he has a literal wrestle with God. Simon, a name related to the shifting of the sands, his name gets changed and becomes Peter, which means the rock. And he becomes part of one of the early church planters in the book of Acts. So a name tells us something about the character or the history of the person that's being named. And most importantly, a name helps you to know a person. Helps you know a person. So what's fascinating about this is that what we see is God gives us his name, meaning God wants to be known. And so God lets us know his name, Yahweh. But then he also lets us use his name. He says this in Exodus chapter 3, this is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. He tells us it's Yahweh. And so God invites us to know his name, which means to know his person, and to use his name. This is why it's the greatest gift. He invites us to take his name upon us. That word to take in this commandment, to take my name, or he says, don't take my name in vain, but actually take my name upon you, it it, it means to carry or to uh, rise or to take up. So God has a name. He's told us what his name is, and then he's invited us to take his name upon ourselves and then to use his name as we live out our lives. Again, another example is when my wife, Caitlin, she had a maiden name, a name, a surname before we got married. And then when we got married, she took a new name, a name that would then include her in my family and my extended family, my family in the past and my family going forward in the future. And in doing so, her name changes, she becomes a part of the Barnes family, and then also represents the Barnes family out into the world wherever she goes. In the same way, we take upon ourselves the name of Yahweh when we become a believer, and we take that name upon ourselves, and then we represent the name of Yahweh out into the world wherever we go. That's the invitation. Because when we become a believer, we are called by God's name. One example is in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where God says, if my people who are called by my name, 
Meaning when we become a Christian, when we become part of God's family, we are called by His name. And so we become carriers of God's name. So, with all of that to say, how do we take God's name in vain? If the command is, don't take my name in vain, what do we do, what do we have to do in order to take God's name in vain? What should we avoid? Well, remember, the word vain literally means nothing or emptiness. So when we take God's name, we are emptying His name. Keep this in mind as we speak. As we take God's name in vain, what we're doing is we are emptying God's name of its value or its power or its meaning. So he's saying, hey, don't take the value or the power or the meaning of my name and discard it as nothing. How do we do that? Well, we take God's name in vain when we empty it of its power and value. Um, Since we cannot, remember this, since we cannot separate God's name and his person, Because remember, to know someone's name is actually to know them as a person. So we cannot separate God's name and His person. And so to take God's name in vain is to waste the gift of His name or to waste the gift of God Himself. That's why this is such an important command. Don't take His name in vain. Because when we do that, we empty His name of its value and power. And when we do that, we waste the gift not only of His name, but the gift of who God is Himself to us. The question is, how do we take God's name in vain? Well, obviously, there's, um, there's the cursing of God's name that many of us will know, the oh my, you know, God, you know, the, the using of God's name in a blasphemous or derogatory way. Uh, sadly, this has become so acceptable in, in culture. Uh, you can even hear kids speaking like this on the playground at schools or what have you. Uh, I just want to say, just because something is acceptable in culture and has become part and parcel of like language or how we talk, it does not make it okay. And so that's one of the ways, and I probably don't need to unpack that. Most of us probably came in this morning. If I said to you, what does it mean to take God's name in vain? We'd probably all align ourselves with saying uh, it's to use God's name in a blasphemous way. So that probably wouldn't surprise us. But another way, and one of the ways that we don't give much attention to if any, and maybe one of the primary ways that we take God's name in vain, which may come to a surprise, as a surprise to some of us, is actually when I live in such a way that is not in line with God's person and character. Actually, to take God's name in vain is to live in a way that is contrary to the way God designed and planned out for me to live. In human flourishing. Time after time, the prophets, the prophets, they charged Israel of old with blaspheming God's name, not necessarily only by what they were saying, but more about how they were living. Think about how often the church has actually brought shame upon the name of God by the way that we live. If, if using God's name in vain is discrediting His name or emptying His name of its power and value, we have to think, like, how can I live in such a way that does not discredit his name? Well, the church, as throughout generations, has, has done a terrible job, actually, in many, has done a fantastic job in many regards, but in some ways has also done a terrible name. When the world uh, dismisses the name of God, or sometimes even as a source of trouble or being irrelevant or irreverent, think about um, people will talk about the Crusades of old. And how that was, how can this be in line with God's character and person? How could a loving God um, condone these things? Or the church's silence in Nazi Germany and 
or that unfolded? How about the building of lavish cathedrals in slum areas? Or the fact that North American believers spend more money feeding their pets than they do alleviating world hunger? We can empty the name of God, making it nothing in the world by the way that we choose to live. This is one of the primary ways that we use God's name in vain. Friedrich Nietzsche, the German existentialist philosopher, once said, show me that you are redeemed and then I will believe in your Redeemer. He's saying, hey, show me by the way you live that you're redeemed. Then I'll believe. In fact, this command is probably the most evangelistic command that there is out there. The way that we would reach the world uh, with the most power is actually when we start to live in a way as the church and as believers that does not uh, use God's name in vain by the way that we live. Martin McGundy, he said that, um, I like what I see in your Christ. It is you Christians that cause me trouble. Now, that's the negative, okay? What's the positive? Well, how can we take up the name of God, the name of Jesus, which was beautifully sung about in our, um, that we all worshiped along this morning as Grace and the team put together a beautiful set list for us as we sang. How do we take the name of God in honor and in fullness and live a life that's consistent with Yahweh's character? When Jesus teaches us to pray in the New Testament, how does he start? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Literally, hallow your name or praise your name or let your name be regarded as holy. It's a request that God would do something significant about his name and how the world would see his name and hear his name. Daryl Johnson again puts it like this. He says, O living God, please take your name, sorry, please make your name real on earth as it is in heaven. Make your name real in my life as it is in heaven. Please honor yourself by the way that you enable me to live. Friends, we bring honor to the name of Jesus or to Yahweh, to God himself, when we speak truth because Yahweh is a God of truth. We bring honor to the name when we seek justice, for Yahweh is just and he loves justice. We bring honor to the name when we do mercy, for Yahweh is merciful. We bring honor to the name when we are patient with others, for Yahweh is slow to anger and loses patience. We bring honor to the name when we give ourselves over to the poor and to the marginalized in society, to the needy, for Yahweh is a God of the marginalized. We bring honor to the name when we enter other people's sufferings. And Yahweh is the suffering servant. We read a man of sorrows acquitted with grief. We bring honor to the name of Jesus when we practice hospitality towards one another and towards strangers, for Yahweh is hospitable and he is a welcoming God. We bring honor to the name when we step out of our comfort zones and we share our faith with family members or friends or coworkers and with the world out there, for Yahweh seeks to have his name be the name above all other names on the earth. We bring honor to the name of Jesus when we try and make peace when we work at reconciliation and wholeness in society, for Yahweh is a God of peace. He is the great redeemer. We bring honor to the name when we keep hope alive, for Yahweh holds the world in his hands and 
Jesus will have his way. Things will be restored. Life, there will be an end to evil and pain and sin. We bring honor to the name when we live sacrificially for the kingdom's sake. For Yahweh's great moment of glory was actually on a cross where he laid down his life for the world. Friends, there's power in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is one of the most or the most precious gift that you and I will receive. When we speak the name of Jesus, we are speaking power and wholeness and fullness and life over ourselves. When we live a life in line with the character traits of Yahweh, we start to uh, represent Yahweh not only well to the world, but also to ourselves. And we start to see the name of, that is above every other name rule and reign in my own heart, my mind, my life, and my circumstances. There is power that will be released over our lives if we have faith to call upon the name of Jesus and live, in line, live a life that is in line with the character traits of Yahweh. Pursue holiness. Power that will help us to live a life of love and sacrifice. A life that brings wholeness and purpose and meaning. There is power in the name of Jesus. It is the most precious gift that you and I will ever receive. To know him is to know his name, and to know his name and to call upon his name is to experience the life-giving power of Jesus Christ in our lives. In Philippians chapter 2, we read, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, it's the name of Jesus. Joy Davidson, he quotes, uh, this is just brilliant. He says, many churchgoers think that the third commandment is meant primarily to forbid casual profanity. Yet casual profanity is perhaps the least of our offenses against it. We commit the ultimate blasphemy by not calling upon the name of God at all. I love that because it's an invitation to say, actually, hey, there is power in the name of Jesus. And when we go at life on our own, we actually, there's a form of blasphemy and saying, actually, God, I got this. I can handle life on my own. I can do my own thing. To not call upon the name of Jesus is to actually waste the most precious gift available to us. This third command is really not a command about, hey, do this or don't do that. It's actually an invitation to say, call upon the name of Jesus and let the power that is released upon his name be released over your life. Listen to how God expounds this in the Old Testament. He says in Exodus chapter three, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. What we see in this passage is that the, his name reveals him as a God who sees, who hears, who feels, and who comes down. He sees you, and he wants to know you. He hears you. His ear is bent towards you, and he's available to you. He feels your pain, your hurt, and your joy, and he wants to experience that with you in nearness and intimacy. And then he comes down, and he pursues you in love 
and in mercy and in grace, and he desires to be near you. That passage goes on in, in Exodus 34, it says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you know that this verse is the most quoted verse in the Bible of the Bible? The Bible quotes this particular verse more than any other verse. Why? Well, when you repeat something in an oral tradition, you're saying this is really important. The Bible, the anointed word of God itself, is actually speaking to us that the most important thing we need to know is who God is. A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. God tells us in this passage that he is merciful that he is gracious, that he's slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love, and that he is faithful. I'm gonna invite the band to come up, Grace and your team. We're gonna close this morning, and I wanna give us an opportunity, not looking at the negative, because we've touched on that, but actually considering the positive. How can I not use the Lord's name in vain by actually using the Lord's name in all of its fullness, over the different areas of my life? How can I call upon the name of Jesus and, and take up the greatest gift that is available to me? You know, we've just come past Christmas time, and uh, when we moved, we moved here in 2022 on the 11th of December. And so in moving across with a crazy exchange rate, uh, we did not have a lot of money during Christmas time last year, 2022. And so we had just moved across the world. We had left everything behind and uh, we did not have like an abundance to go and spoil our kids on Christmas day. Now, what, regardless of what you, the spoil means for you, it was just like we saved, we had a little bit of money and there's this crazy exchange rate. And so we bought our kids bicycles and like that was all we could give them. And uh, Caleb, the wholehearted warrior that brings life, found the bicycles a few days before Christmas. So Christmas day was very uneventful. So this year on Christmas, not because we, were, we just had the opportunity to maybe spoil them a little bit more than we usually would. And you know what the greatest thing that they could do for us as they opened up, my kids opened up their Christmas presents? One of the greatest blessings they could do as we kind of extended ourselves a bit and bought a few extra presents and tried to really just spoil them this year, you know what the best thing they could have done is actually use those gifts. The best thing they can do honoring the gift or the sacrifice or the extension of ourselves that we had given them is actually to make use of the gift that we had given them. If they had opened it up and put it one side, that would kind of feel almost like sucky for us as the ones who had given them the gift. God has given us the greatest gift of his name that carries power. And one of the greatest things we can do to honor the extension of God himself in our lives is actually to take that gift and to use it to use the name of Jesus. And that's what I want to do today. Warren Weasby, he says, great names come and go, but the name of Jesus remains. The devil still hates it. The world still opposes it, but God still blesses it and we can still claim it. In the name of Jesus is the key that unlocks the door of prayer and the treasury of God's grace. It's 
the wisdom that defeats the enemy, and the motivation that compels our sacrifice and service. It's the name that causes our hearts to rejoice and our lips to sing his praise. I wanna call upon the name of Jesus this morning alongside you, and I wanna call upon the name of Jesus over specific areas of your life. Grace once taught me a saying, it says, here's the vision. Okay, so here's the vision for this morning. I wanna ask you in, in extending yourself, sometimes a physical response, there's no real like, the Bible doesn't say, okay, if you wanna to respond to the Lord, stand in church service. But sometimes like making a physical gesture with our bodies actually just gives us the kind of uh, clarity or vision to actually say like, this is a line in the sand, I wanna move forward. And so I'm gonna invite you, with everyone seated right now, you don't have to do this, but if you want to call upon the name of Jesus in one of the areas that we go through, I'm just going to invite you to stand in that moment, and, and we're just going to collectively call upon the name of Jesus. I'm going to go through a bunch of things, and I just want to invite you, if, the, if one of these things is actually, I need the power in the name of Jesus to break out in some measure in this area of my life, I just want you to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray collectively, and we're going to call upon the name of Jesus, and we're going to worship I'm going to trust that the power and the, the authority that is released upon the name of Jesus is released in your life in this specific area. Maybe you can actually just close your eyes, and I'm just going to pray, and then I'll invite you to respond, and if you feel that that way is, is uh, appropriate for you. Father, I thank you that you have given us the gift of your name, Yahweh. Thank you, Lord God, that you pursue us in love. And the primary way that you've pursued us is you've given us the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason you gave us Jesus was so that we could know you. Thank you that you release power, the power of your presence into our lives and into the different areas and circumstances that we face. That you are a God who wants to draw alongside us that you will never leave us and never forsake us. In fact, the greatest, the most repeated command, friends, in the Bible is this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I am with you always, is how the scripture goes on. But more than any other command in the Bible, God tells us to not be afraid. And he fulfills that in the person of Jesus by saying, I am with you always. He's with us right now. So Lord, we want to come before you empowered by the Holy Spirit and with boldness and the authority granted to us, call upon the name of Jesus. We acknowledge, Jesus, that your name is the name above every other name and that if your name is on our lips, there will be power released and access to God the Father. So friends, if you're here this morning and you need the power in the presence of Jesus to break out over relationships in your life. If there are strains in relationships or friendships, family dynamics, if you wanna call upon the name of Jesus to rule and reign over relationships in your life, I'm gonna invite you to stand. If you need the power in the name of Jesus to be released over your finances, If you need the power in the name of Jesus to be released over your job situation, 
or security, over your career, or maybe even over the uncertainty of what should I do next? The authority and the guidance and the leadership of Jesus Christ and his name over your finances, your job, or your career, I want to invite you to stand. If you need the name of Jesus and all the authority that he carries to, re- to be released over areas where you're trusting him for salvation in the lives of family or friends or coworkers, maybe there's a child or a parent or a sibling or a friend, and you need the name of Jesus to break every chain over that person and the bondage that they find themselves in, I want you to stand on their behalf. If you need the power in the name of Jesus to rule and reign over the anxiety that you may may feel in your life, the grip that anxiety has had over you, the sleepless nights, the anxious thoughts, the, 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 the heart that feels disrupted, I want to invite you to stand. The peace and the security and the power of the name of Jesus Christ to rule and reign over fear invite you to stand. If you need the the nearness of the name of Jesus to rule and reign over the loneliness that you may feel in your own heart or your own life, your feelings of self-worth, you need the power of the name of Jesus to tell you that you're valuable, that you're beautiful, that you're desired, that you're wanted, that you're worthy. I just invite you to stand. If you need the name of Jesus to rule and reign and the healing power that comes in his name to rule over sickness or any kind of uh, injury or illness over your life, or a family member's life, or a friend's life, I want you to stand in the gap for them or for yourself. If you need the name of Jesus to provide discernment and wisdom in life choices and like, what should I do next, Lord? The name of Jesus to lead you and guide you, invite you to stand. And if you need the name of Jesus to rule and reign because you want to overcome some area of sin in your life, that you want to remain faithful to Jesus, you can stand. This is not an all-encompassing list, so if there's something else that you're hoping that I was going to say and you're, you're considering an area of your life where you're saying, actually, Jesus, I need you to rule and reign over this particular thing. I just invite you to stand. Take a moment to call upon the name of Jesus. You can pray this after me in your own hearts. You can whisper it. Jesus, I declare that you are the name above all names. I recognize that you have power and authority in your name. Father, I thank you that you have given Jesus the name above every other name. 
I recognize, Jesus, that your name is bigger and greater and rules over relationships, finances, careers, salvations, anxiety, fear, loneliness, self-worth, illness, sickness, injury, wisdom, discernment, life choices, and faithfulness. I pray that the name of Jesus will rule and reign in my life and now name that area. Come Holy Spirit, release the name of Jesus and all power and authority in the heavens, on earth, in my life now. We pray that every chain would be broken. We know and we stand in, in, and we celebrate the fact that the enemy flees at the name of Jesus. And so that the grip of the enemy and any, any ploy, any scheme that he has to rob us of wholeness and life and fullness and truth would be destroyed, banished in the name of Jesus. We pray the name of Jesus and declare the name of Jesus over all of our lives, over our church and over our city. Amen. We pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, exalted as the name above every other name. We say, come Holy Spirit, release the name of Jesus over our city. May San Diego be known as a city that declares the name of Jesus, that we would be a people that speak the name of Jesus, that our eyes are fixed on the person of Jesus, that we are a Jesus church, a Jesus people. Come Holy Spirit, rule and reign in our lives, we pray. I'm going to give you a moment now just to pray and just even if you want to pray into another area that wasn't mentioned, that, there, that Jesus would rule in your life. There would be power released. I love that God over and over again in the scriptures gives him, he is the God of peace. May peace rule and reign in your hearts in the name of Jesus. Spend a few moments praying and being with the Lord or just sitting and resting in his peace and maybe even asking him, I don't know this power that you're talking about. I don't, God reveal yourself to us. In a few moments, Grace and the team will lead us as we declare and, and worship again in our closing. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.